Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. People have been putting more and more effort into making art and art museums more accessible and enjoyable even by people who are visually impaired. This week, we'll speak with Anne Cunningham, a tactile artist, about her work and how it can be enjoyed even without vision. And we will also speak with Erin Cousins and Danielle Schultz of the Denver Art Museum about programs at the museum that enable the art to be enjoyed and appreciated by the widest possible audience. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Anne Cunningham. If you're working on a tactile illustration for someone. If you're sighted and you're trying to help get some information into the hands of someone who's blind, I would suggest that you close your eyes and look at your picture after you've finished it and see if you can read it. If you can't read it, probably nobody else can either. With the work that Anne has downstairs, I think we've seen a variety of ages and people and everybody coming in to touch this art, and it's been a treat for everybody that's walked in. And we've already, even it's only been up for a few hours, and we've already gotten some positive feedback from visitors just saying what a unique experience it is to be able to experience these works in a way that they're not used to or that they didn't expect coming into the museum. So it also adds this element of discovery uh, for people who weren't expecting that but got to experience art in a new way. And I'm fully sighted, but I really enjoyed being able to experience the art tactilely as well as visually. It really enhanced the experience. So with some forethought and a little extra work, lots of people can enjoy this art. Let's start by meeting our guests and learning about their roles at the Denver Art Museum. And with any luck, you'll get to recognize their voices. We are sitting here in a conference room at the Denver Art Museum with several people. Can you introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, My name is Danielle Schultz. I'm the coordinator of adult and access programs here at the Denver Art Museum. My name is Erin Cousins. I'm the program assistant for studio and artist programs here at the Denver Art Museum. My name's Anne Cunningham, and I'm the tactile artist exhibiting down in the demos room. And I'm also uh, the art teacher at the Colorado Center for the Blind. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is tactile art and programs at the Denver Art Museum that enable visitors with all kinds of abilities to experience even the non-tactile art. What brought us here was Josh Mealy told us about Anne Cunningham and some of her interesting work with blind youth and some of the art that she creates. Can you talk about some of that? Sure. I've been carving stone for a long time. And then a number of years back, I started carving in slate. And because of the nature of slate, that it's a thin sheet, I started doing pictures in the stone. And it was because I was doing these pictures, I had this thought one day, I wonder if someone who was blind could figure out what these pictures are. And my whole career changed at that moment. I just went in a whole new direction. And I have not turned away from that since then. 
And how did you get from that into teaching art to blind youth? I had the really good fortune of running uh, into Julie Deeden, who is the director at the Colorado Center for the Blind. And she invited me to come in and uh, work with their students. And pretty soon I had a class going. And that was in 1999, and I've been teaching there ever since. So with the blind youth, do you focus mostly on pottery and sculpture, or do you take tactile more broadly than that? Oh, we're trying to take it in every different direction we can. And so I started just teaching art. We went from stone to clay to bronze. Um, We've done installation artwork. We do huge, like, islands, tropical islands that we invite, you know, people to come and and, uh, experience. And we've had, uh, you know, just all sorts of things. I mean, we, we just don't limit ourselves to anything in any way. So on the table in front of me here, we actually have a children's book that you put together, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. So I brought in uh, two trucks loads of artwork this morning to put into that little space. And I probably have just as much artwork in this little book that I could carry in my purse, (laughs) you know? So there's a... Whereas I love sculpture and I love being able to share the large large work with people, it's really hard to get it out and about. And so I like to be able to have bas-relief that's in a book form because I can get it around. We, and I'm sure many of our listeners, have come to know quite well and love very much the print Braille books that the National Braille Press puts together. And your book is reminiscent of that, but in addition to the print and in addition to the Braille embossed sheet adhered to each page in the location of whatever text belongs on the page, you've got more than just the print and the Braille. So we have full-color tactile pictures. And so uh, this little book is called Sadie Goes to the Lost and Found Pound. And so we get an opportunity to uh, compare things that kids are, uh, beginning learners, are interested in, like tall and small, and um, ears pointing up, and ears drooping down, and a furry coat, and a slick coat. As sighted folk, we are getting pictures from day one, and parents spend hours and hours drilling them on pictures. Mm -hmm. They don't think of it that way. They think they're just sharing a book with their kid, you know. But what they're really doing is those are all picture books, and they're talking about the pictures. So I have a question about these books in particular. When we used the print Braille books from the National Braille Press when our kids were young, the pictures were essentially made of lots of little dots that were outlining figures. But these are very different. Yours are kind of raised, you know, really two-dimensional and with the colors. How is that all done? It's not really all that different technology because uh, uh, National Braille Press, they use Thermoform, and this is a Thermoform book. And we also have a book called Sadie Can Count, and that's in embossed paper. So that's more like a greeting card that you'd get from Hallmark that's been embossed. So it's those technologies, which are pretty old technologies. But what I do is I do uh, bas-relief or low-relief sculpture. And that gives you a lot of the information that you get in a three-dimensional piece. 
sort of squashed down flatter. So you get a lot more detail. You can get the texture of the dog's coat. Um, in the city can count, we have shells. It's a scallop shell, and you can feel all the ridges on there. So that gives you a lot more information than just the outline, which you were talking about is the dotted line. And those are great, too. I think that what we need, you know, we don't need just bow relief or just outlines. We need it all. Well, sometimes the bigger your toolbox is, you have more things to choose from. And, you know, when you have more options, you can often do a better job and, you know, target it to your audience. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I uh, sometimes people say, well, what's best? And I say, well, what's best? Is it uh, a diagram or a photograph or a uh, painting? What's best? You know, depends on what you need. <laughs> and then you go for what you need. We actually started downstairs in an exhibit hall where Anne had some of her work showing, and I understand that Erin is related to that exhibit hall. Can you describe that space? Anne is actually part of our demonstrating artist program, which is in conjunction with our studio space. So it's this um, 3,000 square foot interactive studio where visitors are invited to come and try out different artist processes and do activities that give them some insight into how artists work. So right now, um, it is a 3D studio. We change themes about once a year. And um, actually, Danielle uh, recommended Anne's work as a great fit for this program. The program happens on weekends, and so it's one of our busier times. It happens from 12 to 3, Saturday and Sunday. And visitors can kind of come in, see the work, and watch Anne at work and get some insight into her process, which is a really wonderful opportunity. It's a chance to meet an artist who's really working and get the behind the scenes look at the thing that becomes the art object they see in the museum. One thing I thought was cool when we walked in, of course, it's Wednesday and and Anne's up here with us and we were told that normally you cordon off the area so people can't get near the art, but because Anne's work is purposely tactile, you leave it open so anybody who comes by can interact with it. Yeah, exactly. Normally the demo space, it's kind of a stage raised area, um, is specifically for the demo program that happens on the weekends. And we do invite artists to display works or works in progress to give a little more taste of what visitors will see during the demo. Uh, But normally visitors are not able to touch those works of art and they're um, protected because the artist is not there. But with Anne's work, because the work is meant to be experienced through touch, we have this really wonderful opportunity for visitors to um, actually experience the work throughout the week, which is a really fun opportunity for us and for our visitors. And I actually got to experience some of that artwork, feeling it, and I was really impressed with the different varieties. You showed me some that were done in bronze and some in slate, and particularly with the slate, I was amazed with the variation of textures that you managed to get. Some of it was very smooth, some of it was rough. You showed me some rope texture that was built into the slate, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the techniques you use to make these different textures and and feelings for people. You bet. I will use any technique that I can to get me down the road faster because there's nothing fast about stone carving. (laughs) So I use uh, sandblasting. I use water jet cutting. I use pneumatic grinders and uh, pneumatic chisels. And then I get into the files. And when I feel like I'm finished carving, I'm about halfway through, and that's when I start sanding. The whole sculpture is carved and sanded, and then I go back in and drop in textures. 
I was particularly impressed with the uh, little teeth inside the fox's mouth. I mean, it almost felt like I was going to get bit. And I was wondering how you got in there to get the detail in that teeth and the mouth of the fox. That is um, the beauty of water jet cutting. So I can draw a file in Adobe Illustrator and then send it over to the water jet cutter and take my stone over and they can cut out really precise lines. So this is the opposite of a 3D printer. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> right. It takes it away. It, but it's all CAD-driven. So, mm-hmm. Danielle, you're responsible for making the museum accessible to oh, the widest possible audience. Um, what all does your position involve? Yes, I'm really focused on trying to make the museum as welcoming as it can be for the widest variety of people in both the Denver community as well as people visiting. Um, um, And that can vary anywhere from doing staff training to make sure that staff are also feeling comfortable welcoming the widest variety, that they're um, aware of the different um, accessibility and inclusion resources that we have available at the museum. That also goes into more in-gallery accessibility. So, um, for example, providing large print and braille um, text for our exhibitions. Um, It also goes to what we have more specific kind of programs. So we have a program that Anne um, has been part of for many years called our Tactile Table Program, where we provide replicas, reproductions, or even deaccessioned works of art from our collection that people can touch and explore through touch. But then we also commission Anne to create um, tactile reproductions of some of our works of art that would be um, inaccessible to touch. For example, we have a lot of paintings. So two-dimensional art, we obviously couldn't get a lot of um, detail from that. So Anne has been wonderful in creating these really great three-dimensional reimaginings of some of our paintings that people can explore. And we do that program every other month at the museum. Um, In addition to that, we have specialized programs for people on the autism spectrum. And then we also have programs for um, adults experiencing memory loss and their care partners. So tell us a little bit specifically about some of these programs So we have, at the beginning of every special exhibition, these um, booklets that one is in large print text and one is in Braille text, and it just includes all of the wall labels that are on our objects, as well as what we call the wall labels. So some of it is kind of like an artist mission statement or kind of uh, grounds you in what maybe the exhibit is talking about or what the artist was trying to reach with making his or her works of art. And then we have also the information that's on the wall labels, so the artist, the date, the title, um, and just trying to provide the same level of, of information that a sighted visitor would get when they come to the museum. And that's for every piece in the museum? That is for special exhibitions in the museum. Our goal is to have those um, types of booklets available for our entire collection. We're trying to figure out the best way because we want to make sure that Every work of art that's on view in our collection is accessible to the widest variety of visitors, but that is a tricky thing. So just kind of how Anne said, there's no perfect way to create one tactile work of art. There's no perfect way, as we found yet, to provide the most accessible environment, but we're trying hard to work at that. And and Pete, you mentioned a great thing of adding in more verbal description. And so we have explored using a mobile app 
to provide verbal description information on some of our works of art in that exhibition. And it's been a really interesting experience because we've looked at what is the important information to put across. It is, of course, the label, what's on the information, but it's also about the feeling and why are these pieces important? Why are we telling you about one work of art and not another? And what was the artist trying to get at? The kind of artist statement, those important things. But also really figuring out how do we maneuver people with low vision through a very visual space. Um, And so we've been experimenting and exploring verbal description on this verbal app. About five or six years ago, when we were still living in Rochester, New York, we did an episode with the director of education for the Memorial Art Gallery in Rochester. And technology has advanced considerably since then, and they only had an audio tour for a very small fraction of their artworks. And Pete's biggest comment was, the speech is too slow. Mm. People who are used (laughs) to listening to audio love to pick their own speed, and it's not usually normal speech. Do you have that capability? How we have it on our mobile app is we have both the text um, that's available that's not recorded, and then we have a recording of someone reading the text. The recording of someone reading the text, as far as I know, I don't think you can speed up or slow down. However, um, with the accessibility function on your phone, you can have that read the text. And I think that you can affect how fast and slow it is. But I think that's a really interesting point of thinking about the speed of, of the text. And what, what has been really great with this project is hearing back from some wonderful community members was not only the speed, but also the length of information. So what we've tried to do with this as well is inc- in kind of infuse this, this choice of saying you can choose to listen to all of this verbal description or just part of it. You can choose to listen to just the introduction that says, this is what's in the gallery. Then you can choose, yes, I want to hear a little bit more. And then you can also say, nope, I'm done and I'm going to move on. The other thing that I thought was interesting from talking to the museum people in Rochester was that it's really sometimes difficult to figure out what audio do you include. Some of them tended to be more kind of objective and factual, and they would tell you this woman is wearing a red hat with blue ribbons. Next to her is a man carrying a suitcase. And then the other type of description was kind of giving you a general feel. This is a scene from 1810, and it's a dreary town. And the question comes as to how much information do you want to put in someone's head that's not really actually on the picture, but is sort of an impression type of thing. And I think they struggled with that. And in some cases, they actually had two descriptions, one being very objective and one being a little bit more subjective and, uh, you know, interpretive. I think that is the most difficult question to answer is, right, what information do you give? Because on one hand, you want to provide very objective information. I don't want to tell you how to feel about this work of art. I want to give you the same information that a sighted person would have. However, a lot of museum work, not just art museums, we like to tell those stories. We like to say why this artist was um, important, why this painting in particular is so evocative of his or her style or of the time period. We had a show about women artists from the 1950s who did a lot of abstract expressionism. Their work is amazing, but also the stories of how they made their work is just as equally interesting. So with this project, we have been adding more of those stories. We have been giving some of the objective quality, 
but we have been kind of, I think, going against the grain a little bit and of saying, here are the stories, and here's the reason why it's important to give it to you. And I think we have people who agree and disagree, and that's where I think, again, it's interesting that there's not a set way that it should be done, that it kind of depends on what you're trying to get across. It's interesting that Rochester was having that same issue even those years ago, and I think that in some ways is the larger question about art and what you need to give, and I think it's the marrying of the two of those that can make for the best experience. Part of the experience of visiting any museum is the building itself, and this building is spectacular. It's very modern, very angular, and not like any kid playing with blocks could ever imagine. (laughs) Do you have a way of describing the building to blind individuals? I think the best way we try and describe the two buildings is talking about them as a craggy cliff. We say that the architect was flying over the Rocky Mountains, and that's where he got his inspiration for the museum was because of all of the cliffs and the the actual mountains. So one of the things I like to do with my students is when we're walking up to the building, we stand back and I'll move my fingers around to outline the building so that we can see how that it goes. There's a big prow, like a ship going out over the road, and then um, we can talk about some of the different, you know, angles and describe them uh, physically, you know, so that I can move my hand up and the student can have their hand on my hand so that they can see the angles that I'm going at. And then when we get inside, we can look at the walls, you know, touch the walls and see that they aren't vertical. And then I like to talk about when we're getting closer and closer to the prow of the ship, because then I've talked to some people and, you know, just like, run your cane up there. <laughs> and because, you know, it'll go up over and I'll say, now we're over the road, you know, this is, the, this is where we are. And so it's really a lot more exciting to, to know where you are inside the building, you know, after you've heard about it from the outside. You know, it occurs to me, we've talked a lot about people with special needs and accommodating them. And in software design, people talk about universal design, so designs that are meaningful for everybody, no matter what their situation. And I'm wondering, particularly with things like these audio tours, and you talk about having a more objective audio versus something more subjective and telling you a little about the history and the why of these artworks. I wonder if you also think about gearing these towards the general public or they're just segregated to people with special needs. You hit the nail on the head, Pete. That is what we are trying to go for here at the museum is that it's these aren't just specialized programs for specific audiences, that these types of resources are really opening up the experience to, again, the widest variety of visitors. Um, I know at least with this verbal description tour, we don't say that this is just for individuals with low vision or individuals who are blind. We say this is just listen to more more stories about our works of art and that there are people of all ages and all abilities who I think have an interest in that. Um, and that does make it a more, I think, um, engaging experience when you know the stories behind it. Um, as well as with the tactile tables and with Anne's art that we have, we don't limit it to just people who have low vision or who are blind. It's open to anyone who's at the museum that day. And I think what is really important as well about the program is trying to also showcase to, you know, maybe it's students, maybe it's adults who do have vision saying, what would it be like to come to a visual art museum and not have 
site? How can you still explore this? And so a lot of it, too, is about a wider understanding of, you know, a larger experience at the museum and that it should be something that's for everyone. And what we're really trying to move towards as well is having something tactile in every single exhibition that we have. So right now, we're lucky enough to have a tactile sculpture up in our Ganesha special exhibition that is meant to be touched. It's the very first sculpture. And especially with artworks like that, their original use was to be touched. People would rub the belly of Ganesha to get good luck. And so now we have that sculpture up there. And that, I think, has been a really great example for the museum to see how excited people with vision, people with low vision, doesn't matter, are excited about touching and exploring that. Because as Anne said, that's how we learn. We like to touch. We like to create more of that human connection. So that's what, hopefully down the road, come back in a couple of years and we'll have one of those in every exhibit because I think it is more about this universal um, experience, not just specialized things for specialized folks. So. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about tactile art and about accessibility of art museums in general, and in particular, the Denver Art Museum. So if people want to find out more about the Denver Art Museum and some of the special programs that you've talked about, where would you send them? For more information about the Denver Art Museum, um, you can contact me, our coordinator of adult and access programs. My name is Danielle Schultz, and you can email me at access at denverartmuseum.org or go on to our website at www.denverartmuseum.org. And do you have a social media presence? Yes, so on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we're at Denver Art Museum. Do people have to schedule these special tours, or are they available at what times? Right now, we have our Tactile Tables program every other month. So starting in February, April, June, August, October, December, and it's the second Friday and Saturday of those months. But we also do what we call custom tours, where people can call us up and say, I'm coming to the museum on this day, and we can schedule a tactile tour for them, where we can make these um, tactile replicas um, available to them. And as well as we said, some of our special exhibitions have large print as well as Braille exhibition texts and installed tactiles as well. So there are some things available for just any time someone comes to the museum. Anne, you've made all this great artwork and and the books. Where would people find more information and maybe pictures and examples of some of your work? Sure. You can email me at Anne, A-N-N, at acunningham.com. And my website is www.acunningham.com. You can also see the books and some Uh, raised line drawing boards that we make at www.sensationalbooks.com. And do you have a social media presence? What I do is I post blogs every once in a while. So if you write to me at ann at acunningham.com and ask to get on my list, I will send out announcements about once a month about upcoming events and past events just so just information about that. 
And if you want to find out more about some of these opportunities and special programs, just go to our show notes where you'll find all the contact information and links we talked about at www.eyesonsuccess.net. I encourage everyone to get out there and go out and experience this art at art museums, no matter whether you have perfect vision or not. That's it for show number 1811. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about running using Wayband for navigation. Developing new access technologies sometimes requires intrepid individuals willing to test and work out the kinks in new systems despite occasional failures. We'll speak with Simon Wheatcroft, a blind motivational speaker and distance runner, about his experiences testing the Wayband device by running the New York City Marathon with it. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.